This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 679. For people that are trying out this strategy coming from the long-term rental side, one thing that we say is like, yeah, maybe you don't want to spend the money to invest um, in furniture and ones you already own, but if you're going out and buying new places now, it's really hard to find long-term rentals that'll cash flow. And so this is a great strategy for that because now, even with the high prices, even with the high interest rates, you can still get cash flow in medium term. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with my co-host, Rob Abasola, where we are bringing you another fantastic show today focused on medium term rentals. You may be aware of short-term rentals. You're definitely aware of traditional or long-term rentals. But in today's show, we talk about the new emerging market of medium-term rentals. Typically, these are properties that are rented to traveling professionals, often travel nurses, but not only travel nurses. And we get into some really good stuff. We talk about how to find the right type of property that will work for this, what location to look for, how to furnish them, how to manage them, and how to maximize their efficiency, as well as how to mitigate your risk when you are a short-term rental investor. Rob, what were some of your favorite parts of today's show? Honestly, it was just really nice to talk to a couple of pros. Sarah and Ziana just have this mastered so well. I am obviously more of a short-term rental guy, but I have a couple of medium-term rentals. And uh, yeah, I, I just walked into my medium-term rental after someone checked out. And it was it was like that scene from Daddy Daycare where uh, Eddie Murphy walks into the bathroom and he's like, oh, oh, and it just kept revealing that it was just worse and worse. That's how I felt. So it's nice to talk to them and talk about their strategies, their processes, and the systems they've put in place to run a very successful medium-term rental. So it's going to be a fun one to get into. Wonderful. Before we get into the show, today's quick tip is check out Sarah and Ziana's book, 30 Day Stay. If you pre-order it now, you can get some special perks, bonuses, if you will, a coaching call with them, a free webinar, as well as other bonuses. You can find it by going to biggerpockets.com slash pod 30 and use any of the names from today's podcast to get 10% off that book. It's very well written. It is a very relevant asset class. And I believe that the these two are the front runners for sort of sharing information of how you can make money in this space. I have bought these properties myself. Rob has transitioned a couple of his short-term rentals into medium-term rentals, and you can do the same. So go grab the book. Rob, any last words before we get to the guests? Yeah, just quick clarification on the promo code. You can use promo code Rob. You can use promo code David, Sarah, or Ziana for 10% off. You said any of the ten na- or any of the names from today's podcast, right? Yes, and you just gave the name. So okay. thank you, Technical Tina, for correcting my general <laughs> error. Listen, while we're at while we're here, the one that's gonna give you the best ten percent discount will be Rob. Don't ask me why, just use Rob. <laughs> that's really good. I have no counter to that. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. 
Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. All right, let's get to the show. Sarah and Ziano, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you two today? So good. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, so we, I believe we just got to see each other at BPCon in San Diego. Ziana, you were there as well, right? Yep, you were on my floor. We shared a couple elevators. Oh, and you didn't say anything the whole time. <laughs> Nicely played. Not true. <laughs> it's cool, though. It's cool. She told you about her childhood, David. Come on. She's honest. I was, I was trying to give you like the cool factor, like, oh, it's an elevator with David Green. I didn't even care. I made him talk oh to me. Oh, my God. Well, the first time there was like a crowd, and I was like, I'm not doing that. Everybody's like, oh, my God, it's David. I'm like, no, I don't care that much. <laughs> That's so funny. That You get that a lot when you're in our position. Like these, Like, people will say, you know what? I know, like, I'm not impressed by people that are a big deal. Like, we hear that all the time. And I'm like, well, then why did I work so hard to become a big deal? That'd be like if some guy was to say, like, you know, I'm not really impressed by beautiful women. So don't think that don't think it matters. And you guys would be like, well, then what was the point? So it's always a funny thing that I noticed that pops up. But no, you did not fangirl at all, Ziana. I would have remembered. And I'm. it's probably a good thing that you avoided that big crowd because I'm sure one of those people is the one that gave me this cold that I'm now suffering from post-BPCon. That was a large exposure to a lot of people with very little sleep, which is a recipe for getting sick. I trust all of you are in good health. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. And let me just say, you are a big deal to me. I Like I look at your photo and then I go to sleep every night. And so when I got to see you again in person, I was like, mm, my man. That's, that's the joke at Bigger Pockets <laughs> is I have a huge fan base of males. I'm very popular with the male crowd. I'm like, every, everybody's, every guy wants my life, which is very funny. So I appreciate that. Thank you guys for the support. Uh, I had a blast at BPCon, and I believe you two are now in the 
uh, exclusive club of Bigger Pockets authors. So we were on the same floor also when we were doing our book signing events. How does that feel to be a Bigger Pockets published author? Feels really good. It's kind of surreal. I feel like uh, you work on this like, I don't know, idea for a while. And then when you actually hold it in your hands, like it was yeah. the first time when we were at BPCon, it's like, whoa, this is not just like our secret. It's out and people have it now. So it's it's pretty awesome. There's certain moments that are like that. Like the first time you hear your voice on the podcast that you love, you're like, whoa, that's me on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Or for me, when I walk by a Barnes and Noble and I see the book at the Barnes and Noble, I get that so surreal moment you're talking about. Like, well, that's my book that's right there. It definitely is very cool. And I believe, Sarah, you and I were also on a panel together teaching uh, real estate agents how to sell more houses. So we should definitely get into that today as well. You're a bit of a multi-talented personality. Um, before we get into all the stuff you guys have to offer, if we don't mind, Ziana, we'll start with you. What's your story? How did you get interested in real estate investing and get into your first property? Yeah, so I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast 229 and 300. So way back before you were here, David. Um, so if people want to go back and get the deep dive, I used to be big in short-term rentals. So just trying to be like Rob. Um, but yeah, I did that since 2012 and I built a big co-hosting business around it where I was managing rentals in five countries. Um, but after COVID, I realized that I had to make a switch. And so I got really excited about the medium term strategy. Um, and that's why we wanted to bring it to everybody. So it was really during that period of time that I had to do something different. Awesome. Sarah, what about you? How did you get introduced into this world? Yeah, so I started out as an agent. And that's why you and I shared a panel at BPCon. I coach real estate agents now on how to invest in real estate themselves or build an investor-friendly business. And so started out as an agent and similar to Ziana, just have an absolute love of travel. And so realized really quickly that I wanted to be location independent and build wealth through investing. And so now I own 19 units in four states and I manage all of them remotely. Half of them are medium-term rentals, which is why Ziana and I wrote the book. Well, this is amazing because full transparency, I have three medium-term rentals that are all under rehab right now, and I have zero idea how to manage them. So I'm going to ask Great. you a lot of questions to try to prepare for this because I don't know what I've gotten myself into, but I'm pretty heavily invested. Those three properties are probably worth around 5 to $6 million. So I got to figure this thing out, and what better way than to do it live in front of everybody on the podcast now? Rob, have you got into the medium-term space, or are you pure short term. Yeah, I actually have a couple of medium term rentals, uh, David. Uh, I have a couple of short term rentals that I converted into medium term rentals back about a year, year and a half ago. Um, really at the at the beginning of COVID, I'd say. I was really thriving in the short term rental model, but there was a couple regulations in LA that made it a little bit more prohibitive. And so medium term rentals typically, especially in, in the LA side of things, is 30 days or more. Uh, anything under 30 days is considered a short-term rental in Los Angeles specifically. So I converted that and I still rent my tiny home and what used to be my primary residence on Airbnb for anywhere from 30 to 90 days. And uh, there's definitely some some learnings that I've taken away over the past couple of years that, that I'm excited to dive into. Learnings. 
Mm-hmm. You're literally making up words on this no, podcast. No, that is a word. Look it up. Go- Google it. No, this is what Brandon Turner did, too. He just became rich because he could do it so well. He's like, yeah, let's just call it burr. Let's just call it house hacking. <laughs> and then everybody started saying it. Now we're all going to hear everyone with like a corn cob pipe and a monocle that are all going to start saying things like learnings. Where oh, they're it's a, wor- in- it's a word. Yes. All right. So I am fascinated by the why behind what causes people to switch their investing strategy. So Ziana, if you could, what was it about short-term rentals that you didn't like? Or was there an opportunity you saw in medium-term rentals that you did like? What motivated you to switch out of what was probably a very lucrative space into something different? Yeah. So right when COVID was happening, I think it was even March 8th, it was from one day to the next, we had all the bookings looking like it was going to be a really strong summer, kind of like building up to that. And then the next day, all of the bookings got canceled. They just literally evaporated off the calendar. And so I knew like, I'm not just going to have these places vacant. I've got to be an investor. I've got to put my thinking cap on and be creative and figure out something else. And right at that time, I started seeing longer requests coming in. People needed to quarantine coming home. Um, There were emergency workers coming into town. People needed more space because they're working from home or they had their kids um, at home now uh, educating. And so all of those things kind of made me go, I wonder if I could do this medium term thing for longer stays and, and make that still work. And the thing I was worried most about was trying to get people in for tours, but I realized later that a lot of these people book sight unseen just like a short-term rental. And so it ended up being fine. Cool. So it was the vacancy problem that you're like, I got to figure out some way to keep these things occupied. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, kind of like what Rob said, it's, there's a lot of transition in markets where, yeah, I might've owned in that market for five years and before you could short term run with no problem. And then now they're getting stricter and stricter. And so it's just a little bit easier if you can transition to the medium term space. And how about you, Sarah? What was it that was the, the switch that you sort of zigged when everybody else was zagging? So I actually went straight from long-term to medium-term. I bought a fourplex and furnished um, two of the units and discovered that I could actually net more if I rented to traveling nurses. There's a big hospital complex in that area. This is in Omaha, Nebraska. So the Airbnb you know, hotspot location doesn't quite apply to this property. And so while I could get fully booked on weekends, I had all this vacancy in the middle of the week. So I almost immediately switched to the medium-term rental strategy to increase my cash flow. Okay, first selfish question coming up. Sarah, <laughs> is it as simple as just buying a property near a hospital or are certain hospitals more likely to be bringing in traveling nurses and other ones are not? Like how much nuance do you have to put into figuring out where to buy? So I like buying near hospital complexes so that there's multiple hospitals in an area. For example, my four of my seven units in Omaha are 100% occupied because the nurses just keep extending their contract. So that's one of the many benefits of having the traveling nurse versus any other MTR tenant is that they likely are going to extend their contract and then you have six months of occupancy with no turnover. But would some hospitals not be bringing in traveling nurses or is pretty much every hospital right now is having nurses travel to work there? What's really nice is, well, it's not nice for society, but it's nice for people that own MTRs, is there's 300,000 vac- vacancies across the country for nurses right now. 
Um, if you ask any healthcare professional, 75% of them will say, I don't see myself in the healthcare profession in the next two years. And so the need for traveling nurses is higher than ever. And I see that as a continued trend. So while I can't say that every hospital across the United States is going to have a traveling nurse, I'm really confident that if you buy a rental near a hospital complex, you're going to have someone who's willing to stay there. I've noticed several people in the BP community, some of them are in my mastermind, other ones have come on the lives and they're all making incredibly good money as traveling nurses. Like this is literally the strategy some people are using to save up money for their down payment is they're making twice what they would make at a different location and they're getting their housing paid for by the hospital. So that's one of the things that got me really interested is that they're getting their rent paid by the hospital. So you can charge more for rent and they don't necessarily fight about it like the person who's making their own rent payment and they're gonna fight you over $20. Ziana, same question to you. What's your strategy when you're picking the location for where you wanna put your medium term rental? Yeah, so we look for hospital complexes. We try to be within five miles of two hospitals if you can. So that's the number one thing. And the reason for that is that nurses are probably not going to travel more than 20 minutes, right? So beyond that, a university can bring in a lot of people. It can be students. It can be teachers coming into town. So I like being near universities. And then there's also like tech centers. So where I live in Boulder, we've got like a Google campus and a couple of other kind of tech hubs. And those actually end up bringing in a lot of people um, when they're trying out for a job and they don't want to buy something yet, they might stay in a medium to rental for a bit. And then you've got kind of like business professionals that will come in for a month or two, go to the main office, but they normally work from a different office. So yeah, there's just a lot of different people using MTRs now. So take someone who owns traditional, what we call long-term rentals right now, who in that asset class should be considering switching over to a medium-term rental? Sarah, I'll ask, I'll start with you. Everyone, buy our book. <laughs> I No, I really think that the MTR strategy works for so many different property types. So we're seeing... Uh, I have clients who have, even in our book, case studies where they own in urban areas and rural areas. There's MTRs for four-bedroom single-family houses. There is one-bedroom, one-bath MTRs. And so I truly believe that almost any location can support an MTR. Would I go and buy like 30 houses in a small town and turn them all into you were MTRs? David, you would, and you would definitely <laughs> regret it. We just talked about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's the best strategy. But I, I think it's so interesting. I get this question a lot of like, what if, what if, what if? And the reality is you only need four tenants a year. So you don't need to stress as much about like, is this a good strategy? If you're just going to turn one of your long-term rentals into a medium-term rental, um, it, you obviously have to furnish it and that's going to take time, money, and energy. But aside from that, it really isn't that stressful of a transition to go from a long-term to a medium-term. Nice. Zena, what advice do you have for people that already own some assets that could easily be converted rather than just having to go buy a new one? Yeah, so I would want to make sure that the location was good for it. So I would say you want to probably be more in an urban market. So as opposed to short-term rentals where they're more in vacation areas that might not be as urban or rural stays that might be outside of town, 
urban's going to work best for this. You just have more options for tenants. And then the second thing is size. So with short-term rentals, you're seeing a lot of people going bigger is better, four or five bedrooms, trying to get in two families, heads and beds. That's kind of the name of the game. With the medium-term rentals, I really like to do one or two bedrooms. It can work with bigger ones, and I've heard about people doing rent-by-the-room strategy with medium-term rental, but it seems like such a headache that I've generally found that people travel either by themselves with another nurse or with like a family member. And so they're really not needing that much space. So you're saying there's not a huge demand for traveling ranch hands that are going into these rural areas? Maybe not. I mean, you know, maybe in Ocala, Florida or something like that, where it's like horse capital of the world. But other than that, uh, maybe not. All right. That's funny. And also, Ziana, props on saying the word rural correctly. If you guys would like a masterclass on how to struggle with that word, go back to the time when Ziana was interviewed on the Bigger Pockets podcast before me with Brandon and Josh and watch Brandon struggle to say rural <laughs> for 200 episodes. It is hilarious. I can't say it either. Rural. That wasn't bad. You could tell you've been practicing. That was part of the auditions when Rob was trying to get this co-host position is we were like, say rural. And we all sat there with a scorecard and gave him a score of zero to 10 on how well they did. Very traumatizing. All right, Rob, you've got a decently healthy portfolio yourself. What would you do? What would it take for you to transition some of these into medium-term rentals? Totally, man. I mean, there's kind of a few schools of thoughts, right? And I think like if you're a long-term rental uh, investor, a lot of the times you're going to be handing off that property to a property management company. I mean, you might do the self-management thing, but I know a lot of long-term rentals do that. And then with short-term rentals, it's so heavy into the self-management for me. Um, And then for a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of my peers in this space. So it is definitely a lot more work than than obviously handing it off to a property management company. Midterm rentals are kind of a a really unique spot in between for both. And so I think it's pretty low stakes to test out this approach for the medium-term rental side of things when you're already a short-term rental host. I mean, it's a little bit tougher going from LTR to MTR because you got to spend money on the furnishings and that's a big investment and it's time to set it up and everything like that. But if you're a short-term rental host, you've already got it furnished. No matter what, you're going to be running it as a short-term rental. So it's pretty low stakes for you to give it a shot. And the way that I've done this is I'll pick the price that I want for my short-term rentals, and then I'll just apply a really big discount for anyone that books my place for 30 days at a time or more. So if a typical property is going to bring in, we'll call it $7,000 a month on the short-term rental side, and I'm fine with having it as a mid-term rental, I might offer anywhere from a 30 to 50% discount. Now, for me, typically, medium-term rentals have brought in less money than short-term rentals, but they're a lot more hands-off. I I find that whenever people are staying at my place for 30 to 90 days, they don't really bother me as much for little things. I feel like they sort of feel the empowerment of like, hey, I can go buy my own toilet paper, or hey, they don't have a garlic press. I'll just go do that. I don't want to bother them for that. So whenever people feel like they live there, uh, they don't really bother me as much unless it's an actual maintenance problem that I have. So I think if you want to try it as a short-term rental host, it's a lot easier of a decision because all it does is all it takes is for you to just apply a discount and let people book book you. Um, but I'm curious, Sarah and Ziana, when you guys are doing medium-term rental as, a per, as opposed to short-term rentals, how much of maintenance, uh, like property management maintenance with guests do you feel? Not like actual physical fixing thing, but I just mean like how high maintenance are your medium-term rental guests? Sarah, we can start with you. 
I find the same thing. They take ownership of, of the unit and sometimes they're even leaving really wonderful things. Like I had one even improve the closet and say like she added shelving because she was there for three months. And so not only are they less maintenance, but they're actually improving the property along the way. And they may need your help getting into the unit or have a question in the first three to five days, but then they fall silent. And if they're staying, you know, 90 days to 180 days, that's like 80 days of peace, right? Where you're not having to, this is how you use a Keurig. Um, This is how you get into the unit. And that's what I like about MTR versus STR. And, and I just want to touch on, I think it's really important of what you said that you are making less money as an MTR because you bought in places that are really stellar STR markets. But some of Ziana and I's units are in places where short-term rental doesn't really work. And so therefore MTR is not only more because your occupancy is higher, but it's significantly more than it would if I was a long-term rental. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, because you were talking a little bit earlier about like, should I change my short term to medium term? It doesn't have to be as dramatic as that because you can just utilize the strategy for your slow times. So that's what we do at a few of our places that are sometimes short term rentals is that you're just going, okay, it's going to be winter season. That's our slow period. Let's get someone in for three or six months just to kind of like abate some of that that would otherwise be only weekends. Right. So I like it for that. And then for people that are trying out this strategy coming from the long-term rental side, one thing that we say is like, yeah, maybe you don't want to spend the money to invest um, in furniture and ones you already own. But if you're going out and buying new places now, it's really hard to find long-term rentals that'll cash flow. And so this is a great strategy for that because now, even with the high prices, even with the high interest rates, you can still get cash flow in medium term. I like that it's a hybrid. You don't have to choose long-term or short-term. That's actually brilliant. During the slow seasons, you can put it on Furnish Finder, or we'll ask you guys later some of the better places where you advertise these. And when you don't need to, just get more income putting it on the short-term rental vacation sites. That actually makes a ton of sense. You don't have to change anything about the property. It's already set up to be doing both. So what are some of the key considerations that people should take into consideration when they're going to go the medium term rental route as far as being an asset manager. Yeah, I I love talking about asset management because I don't think it gets some of the shiny headlines that other topics do. And I think as an investor, you have to be an investor. And so one of the things you need to keep in mind if you're going to switch to medium term rental is that you need to have systems in place. And so if you've never ran a short term rental before or any any furnished rental, you're going to need a great cleaner. You're going to need multiple handymen because these guests do expect things to, to be fixed it's probably a little quicker than you would on your long-term rental. So I call it my vendor list and my vendor list doesn't have one plumber. It has five plumbers. And so if you're thinking about having a medium-term rental, you want to build your on the ground team. That is very wise. I have the same thing because I have rental properties all across the country. So every time we get a new one or anytime we have a problem with one that exists, we add that vendor to our vendor list. So every state I have a property, every city I have a property, I've got every plumber that we've used in the past, every handyman, the person that can hang a door because you don't want to be going online and looking for a new person every time you need something because you didn't take five seconds to throw them on your spreadsheet when you had them. That is a very, very good little quick tip there to mention. Uh, Ziana, what about you? What do you think when it comes to being an asset manager? What's some advice that you can give our listeners? 
Yeah, so when we were at BPCon, um, this was great. A person in the audience came and talked to us later, and she was saying that they own an eightplex, and that most of the units were two bedrooms, but they had a couple that were one bedrooms. And the two bedroom units would rent really fast long term. Um, they had no problem with that, but then these one bedrooms would be hard to rent. They couldn't really get tenants for it and they were struggling and they looked at each other and they were like oh my god this mtr deal now there's going to be so much demand for these one bedroom units because they're perfect for this strategy there's so many nurses that want to just live alone or a digital nomad or somebody that's doing a renovation in their house or whatever it can be great for a couple or just a single person yeah i've had every single one of those at my medium term rentals i've had families that were wanting to move to that specific neighborhood so a lot of people, especially in LA, I mean, it's expensive to buy a house out there, right? A starter home out there could easily cost six, $700,000 up to a million dollars just to get into something. It's a lot of money. And so a lot of people want to go and stay in the neighborhood and feel like, okay, hey, do I like it here? Do I actually want to spend the money in a neighborhood like this? And I've also had people that were traveling nurses. I've had groups of traveling nurses stay at my place. I've had people that were remodeling their kitchen for an HGTV show that they were like, couldn't really tell me too much about, but they're like, it's a famous show. I'm not allowed to say anything. And I was like, well, I gotcha. I got blackmail on you because you just told me, but was it, was it in, was it in Denver? Because there's a series about like build my sex room. And I feel like that's what they were actually talking about. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know well, what? Let David's me let me ask them. Really priceless. He was not expecting that. No, <laughs> Cut back that to that. My like... dungeon. <laughs> oh, so, I've had I've had a lot of different people stay at my place. Um, formerly, I thought that families were my favorite people to host in medium term rentals. I would say that that perception has been crushed by my last set of guests that were families that stayed there for a long time. So I will say, in my experience, medium-term rentals have brought a little bit more wear and tear than a typical short-term rental. Can you guys talk about that, Sarah? Have you ever had anyone in your guest that was... Uh, sorry, have you ever had anyone in your house that was a little bit harder on your home in a 30-day stay than you would have with like five sets of guests in the short-term rental side? I think that when you allow pets for your, for your medium-term tenants, you're opening yourself up to more damage. So I definitely have replaced a couch and a rug because of pets. And so that's a consideration you have to make. I know that Ziana's made the decision to have no pets, which is brilliant. Um, and then I just have found a way to have a great pet fee, a pet deposit, as well as a security deposit. And so that's the money that covered the cost of replacing those items. Yeah. What about you, Ziana? I actually think short-term rentals are harder on the home just because people are kind of like turning in and out so much, you know, and they're, they're more like vacation vibes and they don't care as much. And there's a little bit of that like hotel, like, oh, it's not my place. I think when people are there a while, it's they have like a little bit more pride of rentership, you know. They, they like having their home a certain way. They might actually take care of it a little bit better. And we don't have as much damage because they're not moving furniture in and out like they do in long-term rentals. One thing I wanted to mention as an agent myself, I figured David would like this, is that I've had so many people moving to the area and then being able to either refer them to an agent in that area or take them on as a client myself when it's local. Um, so I actually think it's like a secret sauce for agents. Yeah, I like the point you made. If I was to ask Rob what his biggest complaint was with short-term rentals or the biggest detriment to the business, my guess is it would be the freaking partying. 
the people that come in, they book it for six people and they bring 20 and they throw a huge party on the last day there. They trash the house because they don't live in their own filth and then you got to go clean it up. But that's not going to happen in a medium term rental because they got to live in their own filth if they try to do that. No one throws a party at their house. They throw it at somebody else's house, right? So by making it a medium-term rental and making someone live there, by nature, they're going to take more care of the property. And that's one of the reasons I'm getting into that space because I think you're eliminating one of the biggest complaints that you're going to get from short-term rental operators is the parties. The other is going to be the fact they get held hostage by the guest. Oh, the coffee machine didn't work. The the thing didn't happen. I need a big discount. You're not as likely to do that if you're staying there for three months of your life. It's awkward. You don't want to get a bad relationship yeah. with your landlord. You're willing to get a bad relationship with your hotel host that you're only staying somewhere for three days. So I love that you're you're not really losing a ton of revenue, but you are eliminating a huge part of the headache of the short-term rental space. I wanted to switch gears up. Actually, do either of you have a comment you want to make on that point before I ask the next question? I saw you nodding your heads. I think one of the things that I like about this strategy is it's less barrier to entry for a lot of investors. So investors out there that have been nervous about short-term rental regulations or just the constant turnover and cleaning and coordination of guests, this strategy is really great for that type of investor. So if you're looking to make more cash flow from your units that you already own or units that you're about to acquire, this is a really great strategy that isn't as much work as a short-term rental. And I'd, I'd like to say that they just do stuff that other guests won't. Like short-term rental guests will not... They won't change a light bulb. They won't go get batteries for the remote. Like there's things where oh, they're like, yeah, the we're a team. <laughs> we, yeah. We're living in this home. You know, they're they're happy to kind of contribute a little bit more. And we save a lot on supplies because they leave a lot of stuff. They might leave like really nice shampoos and conditioners or they buy extra of things. And so we're not having to replace as much um, in the supplies department. Thank you. All right. I've been dying to ask this question the whole time. I'm sure somebody else is thinking the same thing. When I'm converting something into a medium term rental, how many bedrooms ideally do I want to go for? And how do I know if more is better? So if I have the opportunity to take a property and turn it into three one bedrooms or two uh, units and one of them has one bedroom, one of them has two bedrooms. What are some factors you would take into consideration when determining if you want a three bedroom medium term rental or a one bedroom medium term rental? So my units are all two bedroom and one bedrooms. Um, I like the smaller units. I find that they're they're actually at the beginning. I found that they were less attractive to other buyers. So most people are wanting you know a bigger unit. If you're buying a duplex, they'd love a three two on each side or a two one on each side. So I was able to pick up these multifamily properties that are all one bedroom one bath, and then the cash flow from them are amazing. Does that mean that a three bedroom doesn't work as a medium term? rental? Not necessarily. I just am targeting two bedrooms and one bedroom units. And so before we move on to Ziona, what is it about the two bedroom that like who's going to be renting that out? What's the avatar of tenant? Yeah, so it's really interesting. While most of my tenants are traveling nurses, you're going to see a lot of different tenants. Um, I have a friend, Sylvia, who's investing in Waco, and she only has rented to construction workers. And then I have a friend near an Amazon facility, and they're all housing seasonal Amazon workers. And so there's a lot of other tenants out there that aren't medium term, that aren't traveling nurses. 
In addition, I've also housed people going through a divorce or doing a kitchen remodel. And so while most of my tenants are traveling nurses, and that gives people a feel for you should buy an MTR near a hospital, know that they're MTR tenants of all shapes and sizes. Yeah, I wanted to say that I actually put my parents home on Airbnb a couple of years ago. And they're like, basically, my mom got relocated to San Antonio. And so we my parents house, she would basically go back and forth every like two weeks or every three weeks because of how the job worked out. And so my dad would would go there with her because uh, he's a romantic. And so their, their house would be very empty. And so I was like, hey, let's put it on on uh, Airbnb. And it's in a town called Pasadena in Texas, which is not necessarily a touristy place. It's actually where a lot of refineries and oil rigs are. Like if you drive to Pasadena, Texas, it's miles and miles and miles of giant tubes coming out of the ground with like smoke. And so it's not really a, a tourist destination per se. And so when I told my parents, I was like, let's just do it. I think it's going to work. And they're like, why would anyone stay here? And I'm like, well, let's just see. We actually ended up getting so many month-long bookings from refinery workers, from refinery workers that were coming in from all over Texas, and the company was paying a housing allowance, so they would just split the place. And my parents were making like two, three, four thousand dollars depending on the month on these medium-term rentals, and it was a lot of money. That's a lot of money for that specific house because they bought it for like it paid it off, and I think they bought it for like a hundred grand or something like that. If I can, I just want to add that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, could my property be a medium-term rental, you can list it on Furnish Finder for $99. It's not a booking site, so no one has the ability to book it, and you can just put feelers out there. Um, you can put in the listing description that like these are unfurnished photos, but the property will be furnished, or you can even use stock images. Just make sure that you're honest in the description that furnished photos are to come, and you can start to get feelers out there, and what a cheap way to get a feel for your market and do some research. That's a great tip. That's a really great tip. A lot of people stumble on that one too, because they're, they're like making this multi hundred thousand dollar investment, you know, two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars for a house. And like, Oh, I don't know. Am I going to make money? Am I not? And then it's like, Hey, spend 99 bucks on furnished finder. And they're like, Ooh, yeah, I don't know. 99 bucks. <laughs> don't know if I can <laughs> swing that. And it's like, come on, just do it. It's like, it's fine. Cause I, I so it's true. the same struggle I find with people that don't want to buy like rentalizer on air DNA or whatever. Sorry, sorry, Gianna. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, now that Gianna has had Sarah answer very thoroughly and Rob answer very thoroughly, now you have to try to find like the crumbs Uh that might have been missed. And you're like, okay, (laughs) where can I contribute here? So don't feel bad if they've already taken your answer. But what's your your feedback on how many bedrooms someone should be looking for in one of these units? I also really like one bedrooms. And it's for a similar reason as Sarah. Sarah's bought in like a multi-units so she's got like a quad and duplex but for me I've bought a lot of of condos and so the one bedroom condo is just a less popular product people if they're gonna go out and finally buy a property they want two bedrooms or more um, so I found that you can get a lot of discounts it's it's great opportunity to get in there so I actually really love love that and a lot of investors hate condos so it's kind of nice to just have a different avenue if you're looking at it differently. You've got a different lens. And then I was going to say that digital nomads are people that I see a lot in the two bedrooms. My partner and I are digital nomads. And it's always like, okay, where are you going to work? Where am I going to work? Because you know we've got to have some separation when we're on calls or podcasts or anything like that. And so it is nice to have two bedrooms when you've got that kind of situation. I think that's a brilliant strategy, especially in a hot seller's market. 
when you're just like, I can't get anything. You guys are both agents, so you've seen what that's like when we're in a bit of like a nice little pause right now, thank God, where you can actually, buyers have an opportunity to get something. For the last eight years, you're like, oh, I have 70 buyer clients and I put one in contract every month. It's terrible. Uh, but in this strategy, like you said, Ziana, it's a condo. People don't want them as much. It's a one-bedroom condo. People don't want those as much. You actually can make that work, and you can go after a motivated seller when everybody else is having a hard time getting a property at all. So I love that, especially in that situation. Yeah, this is very enlightening to me because as a short-term rental investor, one-bedrooms are very rarely on the docket for me. I mean, it's just a non-starter for me. All I really want these days are three, four, five-bedroom pluses. Um, I mean, I own one-bedrooms. Like, If it's a tiny home and that's the specific gimmick or the marketing niche that I'm going for, no problem. But a one-bedroom condo is something that I would just, I wouldn't even look at no matter how cool it is because the way I think about it is partially beds and heads, but also, you know, how much, how much can I actually gross on a one bedroom place? So I'm curious. Um, I think you guys mentioned that you, you book for, you said you only need four every year and you're doing three month bookings at a time. Is there a specific strategy that you employ whenever you're trying to get a three month booking or, because for me, a lot of my midterm stays usually start as 30 day stays uh, shout out to your book, but they will typically transform to 60 or 90, sometimes 120 days. Is there anything that you do to get longer bookings? Sarah, we can start with you. Not necessarily. I have it listed on Furnish Finder. And like I mentioned, I'm near a large hospital complex. So a majority of my tenant base are traveling nurses and their contracts are 13 weeks. So that's my clientele. And I don't think there's anything that I'm doing on Furnish Finder in particular to attract them. But I know that Ziana, you you have a different strategy when you're listing on Airbnb as far as the time frame that you have open. Yeah. So when I have medium term only places. So there's some places that I have that can be short term, but then there's some cities like Denver and Boulder where you can't do anything less than 30 days. So if I'm doing something like that, then I only open my calendar five weeks out. And the reason for that is that I am fine attracting just one month stays, but I don't want a lot of vacancy in there. So I don't want somebody to be able to book, you know, with a three week gap that I won't be able to fill. Right. So you have to be a little bit strategic about it. And I don't let people instant book. I have them make a request because what I've found is a lot of these people are driving. They might be going to Austin next or whatever, and they have their car with them. And so they might come out two days early or two days later. And so you can kind of massage those dates so that you don't have as much vacancy. Um, I thought it might be interesting to go into the numbers of a one bedroom condo I have. Would that be helpful? Yeah, definitely. Because I wanted to ask about analyzing these things. So yeah. So last year, so it was March 2021, which was super high time. It was really hard to get anything, um, not like over asking and everything. It was just very competitive. So I had a friend who just was breaking up with her partner and she was like, I'm thinking I might go look for a one bedroom apartment. I'm not sure. And so I thought, okay, let me just take a look at what's here in Boulder. And I found this great little one bedroom that just totally renovated and she wasn't interested in it. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll just buy this and maybe I can have her rent it from me or something like that. And so I bought it for two fifty five. Um, and my PITI is about two, it's 1250. And so with that, I could probably rent it long-term for about 1250 to 1400, something like that. But with a medium term, I can get 2400. 
And that's kind of the the normal price, but because it's also seasonal like a short-term rental, in June I can get 3,000, in July I can actually get 4,000. And so I'm actually okay with these one-month stays. The, they can actually make us a lot more money. Yeah, that's awesome. So generally speaking, uh, I, I, I believe it. I mean, for the most part, in my mind, they've always outperformed long-term rentals. And like I said, they really aren't even in some of the areas that I've seen them or done them, not terribly far from the short-term rental income either. But I have a very specific formula for how I analyze short-term rentals. So Ziana, when you're actually in the throes of analyzing your medium-term rental, is there any kind of formula or process that you take to do so? So we both talk about analyzing them like you would a long-term rental, actually. So you only have to add in a couple more lines because there's just not as many expenses as the short-term rental. So you're including utilities, you're going to have to budget for furnishing, but it's really not that different. What about you, Sarah? Yeah, that's the exact same. There's three things that increase your your upfront renovation costs includes furniture, your utilities increase, and then the best thing is your rent increases. Yeah, I've had a I had a student who has a uh, a place out in Anaheim, and like you were saying, Zion, it's like they have the regulations out there too. So she does it thirty days at a time, and she says that when she's buying her property, she's typically doubling what a long term rental is, and she's starting there. So it kind of obviously that projection is like a long term rental, medium term rental, short term rental. So I think she said on a long term rental she was making, um, or I wanted to say it was like twenty five hundred to three thousand. So she was budgeting for a medium term to be anywhere from five to six thousand, and then if the regulations allowed it, a short term rental would probably be like eight to ten thousand dollars. And so she says anytime she doubles what the long term rental is. Um, and that's just a quick rule of thumb. Obviously, it's not going to apply across the board, but she's been getting that pretty consistently. And she's double it, starts with doubling it, and then she'll go and, and um, basically just run comps on the market and stuff like that. But curious if there are, when you're doing any kind of tools or anything like that, is it AirDNA or All the Rooms or Mash Visor, any of these kind of big platforms for short term rentals usable when you're going to the strategy, or are you just going straight long term analyzation st- strategy? So there is a resource for medium-term rentals. It's called Furnish Finder. It's the same place that we list our units, and it's where a lot of traveling nurses look. But they actually have a really robust um, statistics page. So it's FurnishFinder.com forward slash stats, S-T-A-T-S. And you're going to get a lot of that information there. What happens then is then I have, you know, clients that come to me and they're like, okay, yeah, but what do I do with this information? And so that's when you really have to put your thinking cap on and you have to think, okay, what's my population in my market? Like is 30 inquiries this year for a two bedroom, one bath in my zip code. Is that enough for my unit to stay vacant or sorry, stay occupied? Or is that not enough? And so I can't give like a number that works for every market across the country. That's where investors really need to kind of put their thinking cap on. But I really like that resource because that's where you're going to get your tenants. That is an incredible resource. I just typed it in when you said that. And I typed in the city of one of the houses where I'm looking to put one. And it shows in the last 12 months that they have had 127,000 searches for housing requests in that area and uh, map and property listing page views of 730,000. So I would imagine those are pretty solid numbers. That's a lot of people looking for a house, right? Probably all I need to know to say, yes, let's move forward with putting an offer on that property. And then look at your competition in that area and you'll see that, I mean, 
I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo on anyone. However, they're really ugly units on Furnish Finder. And so you don't have to be like as beautiful an STR as what Rob does. You just have to beat out your competition. I like to use the analogy, like if you're chasing, if a bear is chasing you, you don't need to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than your friend. And so when you're looking at Furnish Finder, you don't have to be the most beautiful unit on Airbnb. It's a lot easier to be the most beautifully decorated unit on Furnish Finder. And it, it shows you how many total rooms are available for rent. It shows you how many houses are available for rent. It tells me that this city ranks 148 in the entire state of California. Like, this is very, very good information. <laughs> and I'm, David just became the ambassador for, for FurnishFinder.com. Well, you don't have to pay for it. It just showed up right there. But that's that. So when you're an agent and you're working with a client who's trying to figure out, should I buy this property? They have all this what if going through their head. That's a very solid security blanket that you're getting that this is how many people are looking to rent a space where you're at. So, I mean, it's pretty cool that it's that easy to find that information, that it's not behind a bunch of paywalls or that it's not accurate. The other thing about Furnish Finder is like if you search it as a client, so you just put in whatever uh, city you're in and then the number of bedrooms that you're looking for, it just pulls it up on the map and you can search right around there what people are actually charging per month because they have static rents listed there. It's not like Airbnb where you're seeing a nightly rate, but every night could be a different price and it's hard to kind of understand that data. Um, so I find it really useful that Sometimes I just get curious and I'm like, okay, what does San Antonio look like versus Omaha or something like that? And you'll find that certain states just don't have really high medium-term rental rents yet, and their pricing is still too high. So you've got to find ones that have the right margin, but you can do a search around the U.S. really quickly. Yeah. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Um, so we're, we're going to hit the deal deep dive here in a second, but I have a couple of selfish questions before we move on, because I, I know a lot of people probably are wondering this at home. And so when you go to the medium term uh, avenue, I'm curious, you're going over 30 days a lot of the time. So that sort of takes you out of the short term rental laws and regulations that might protect you in that aspect. When you're renting to people 30 days at a time, does that require a lease? Is a lease a standard operating procedure for both of your businesses? Sarah, we can start with you. If they are booking outside of Airbnb, then I am setting them up with a lease. So within within Airbnb, you're you're not simply because Airbnb has like a trust and safety team that can have your back? And they don't really like it when we move guests off the platform. Oh, no. I mean, like, if you have a guest that books on Airbnb, let's say, for 90 days, do you, you like, is it fair to ask them to sign a lease in addition to that, to that reservation on Airbnb? Oh, yeah. Great question. I have not done that. I find that the protections within Airbnb keep me protected. But if they're finding me on Furnish Finder, then I'm setting them up with a lease. What about you, Ziana? Yeah, so I also don't do it, but I've heard people in California specifically being worried about squatters and, and evictions. So you could, if you're worried about it, just add that extra layer of safety. I know that Airbnb is trending more towards these longer stays, so they'll probably be putting in more automations. So I'm hoping to see that coming forward where they'll have this is the guest name. Let's just put it in this pre-made lease. And then it's just like electronically signed. You know, I think that it's like the old days of short-term rentals that there just wasn't any software before and you had to kind of do it all yourself. And then now there's so many companies that you can pay for all these automations. So I think we're just a little bit behind still for the MTRs. That makes sense. I'm I don't do it when I do it on... I really primarily do the medium-term rentals on Airbnb, and I've always felt the same way, Sarah. Like The trust and safety team there, for the most part, would probably have, have my back on, on those types of issues. But I am starting to lean more towards just adding that extra step of having a lease sign that sort of has like basic protections, like, hey, if you damage this or this or this, this is what we would charge. Um, but... I guess the other thing that I like for me, like I said, the the wear and tear has been a little tougher. And Ziana, I know you said that you think the short term rental wear and tear is a little bit tougher. I'm honestly wondering, do you have any other cleaning procedures that you do on a property? Because one of the things that I've been uh, working towards as of this last uh, stay is that I actually want to have a cleaner come in every single month that a guest is there. Do you do either of you have any beefed up cleaning procedure for your medium term rentals? I try to have a day in between. So as much as I hate vacancy, it is, you can, there's enough demand to have people check out at 10 a.m., check back in at 3 p.m. and just have like a whole new guest. But 
I've just found that when it's been six months, you don't know what you're walking into. And this is part of the reason why I stopped using or allowing pets is that we just say, hey, let's just do a day in between. And that gives them enough time to kind of assess anything, maybe get the handyman over if we need any of that, and then just do a deeper clean. One thing that we do, I have um, hospitable. I don't know if you use that for auto messaging, but we can use it in our medium terms as well. And one of the messages that goes out like day three has the cleaner's information in it. So I'm not currently requiring it because I just don't want to have to pay that, even though you're passing it on, it's money that you couldn't charge for rent. You know, if it's an extra 200 bucks a month, I want to get that as rent. And so what I do offer is the cleaner's name, what their rate is and their phone number, and they can reach out to them if that's something they want. Yeah, that's a great system. I actually think I've had people ask for my cleaner and they've used them in the past. Totally. But I think just after this last guest, I'm, I'm telling you, man, they, they were really, they, it was a family. And I look, I'm a family. I got kids. I know what kids do in the house. And I'm like, kids all right, get hard. it. I have, yeah. yeah. I, I show some grace to families, but they like really stained all of my carpet. And I had to get like some to come and steam clean my all my accent chairs. And it was like a whole thing. So one of the systems I'm putting in place is, yeah, just asking for it. Like, hey, happy to book you uh, for more than 30 days. Just note that every 30 days there will be a new cleaning fee. And from the people that I know that are in the medium term space, they that have been doing it, they said that they haven't had any any uh, pushback on that. So I'm going to start doing that simply because, yeah, honestly, I stayed at my place immediately after that family. Thank goodness I did. I mean, my cleaner did not relay what they were supposed to relay. I actually had to let them go because of the condition that the house was in. But had I not stayed there, I would not have caught all of the different things that I had to fix. So it was a supposed to be a 14-day vacation. Actually ended up being more like a 12-day vacation because the last two days were just us like touching up, magic erasing the walls, like hanging things up again, putting a new baseboard. It was like a whole thing. Uh, but Sarah, do you have any any um, cleaning procedures or anything like that on that on the medium-term side? So one tip I got from another investor that I now implement is I have my listing photos printed out and laminated, and those are given to the cleaner or put in a utility closet. Um, that's why they're laminated. If, if it, there is a utility closet, it goes in there. Otherwise, they're just emailed to the cleaner because one of the things that's kind of my pet peeve is that I worked so hard to like decorate the units really beautifully. I own a company that does this for a living. And yet during the cleaning turnovers, you know, they'd put the throw pillows in on the, in the wrong room or the chair is a weird way. And so to make things easier, I give my listing photos as well as pretty explicit instructions to the cleaner um, on what to do. That's good. Yeah. The, the laminated photos is probably really helpful because theoretically you would think, oh, they can just look at the the listings on the, or the photos on the listing on the phone. And I'm like, they probably don't do that. So I actually also, I didn't do that, but I just created a whole new checklist specific for medium term rentals when it comes to cleaning, because I found that not only with the medium term rental, you're not just upkeeping the inside of the house, but it's also the outside of the house. I was walking around my home and everything is dusty. There's dead leaves everywhere. And it's just a little bit tougher to 
to kind of maintain that. Usually in short-term rental guests, we come in, we can clean that stuff up. We spot it a lot faster. But when a cleaner is there for a medium-term guest, they're like really focused on the inside. So now I think we're just going to turn it into like a deep clean for every single guest and basically make it like a two-day thing just because, yeah, when I have when I have families in there for 60 to 90 days, it's obviously, it's pretty tough on everything. So that's it for my selfish questions. David, do you have any other selfish questions before we move on? No, I think that they've done a very good job being gracious guests answering all of the selfish questions that I have. <laughs> I guess maybe my last one would be outside of Furnish Finder, which was very helpful. Are there other resources that you would recommend that a medium-term rental investor should be familiar with? Mm, that's a softball right there. <laughs> Our book. <laughs> well, thanks for asking, David. We recently wrote a book called 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. And I know that you would like an online resource, which we're really excited because our book really walks through every single piece of buying an MTR. So someone could pick up, um, hear about real estate investing, know nothing about cash on cash return, and then pick up our book. All thanks, Rob. Yeah, I just got this in the mail yesterday. I was legitimately stoked. This is, mark my words, everyone at home listening, this is the next book I'm going to read. I love that. Well, we'll check back in because that has a lot of our personal stories in it. We just wanted to make it like a little more fun. And so we're going to quiz you later. We're going to be like, what do you know about uh, Philippines? Please do. (laughs) I want you to. I want you to check in on me in two weeks. I don't know if I'll be through it in two weeks, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to work my way starting tomorrow. I'm going to. Yeah, Rob, I am. Rob's list of books he's going to read is like Leonardo DiCaprio's list of ex-girlfriends. There's always a new one that he's like, ah, this is the next one I'm going to read. They just get cycled through, don't they, Rob? That's true, but I never say which book I'm going to read. I just say I have a list of books, but this one, I got it, and then I also got Real Estate by the Numbers, so I'm trying to... This girlfriend is special. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I'm telling you, these 30-day... these 30-day guests that I just had, or these 90-day guests, they really, they really put some, some bruises on old Rob here. So I'm like, all right, I need to, I need to really um, step up my systems game on the medium-term rentals, I think. So I'm working through that right now, simply just for this, the sake of educating people on how to do it correctly. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I also want to publicly tell you thank you for all of the bruises you take for us on that <laughs> Scottsdale property. You're my offensive line and you absorb all of that. So it doesn't True. get to me letting me sit back here in the pocket like Tom Brady and make my throws. So thank Amen. you for that, Robbie. I'm here to make you shine, my friend. Ladies, I know we're going to talk about it later, but where can people go if they want to get a copy of that book? Does Bigger Pockets have a landing page set up specifically for it? They do. Um, it is biggerpockets.com slash pod 30. And if you use Sarah or my name, you can get 10% off. And Sarah is with an H and my name is Z-E-O-N-A. You'll see it in the show notes. And while you're there, you might see another book that you like because Bigger Pockets dominates the bi- the publishing world in the space of real estate, which means that Sarah and Ziana have basically entered into the Hall of Fame before they've even sold a copy. So if you use the name David or Rob, you can also get 10% off any other book in that entire bookstore. Here's my recommendation. Buy all of them, put them on a bookshelf, and then tell everyone you know, this is the next book that I am going to read and never read it, and you can be as cool as Rob Abasolo. And here's my recommendation. Use promo code Rob, not promo code David. (laughs) Yes, I will give you that home-filled advantage. (laughs) 
All right, we're going to move on to the next segment of our show. This is the world-famous Deal Deep Dive. And in this segment of the show, we dive deep into a particular deal that our guests have done. Sarah, we're going to start with you. Do you have a deal in mind that we can ask you questions about? Yes, I have never talked about this deal on a podcast. So you're hearing it here first. Behind the scenes, look. (laughs) We'll ask you the questions, so you won't have to go through the whole thing here. Okay. First question, what kind of property is it? Duplex, a side-by-side duplex. Nice. Question number two, how'd you find it? My investor-friendly real estate agent. There you are. Question three, how much was it? 210000 Question four, how did you negotiate it? Not well. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, they asked for two ten, and I wrote a check. Um, no, I did get, what did I get? I got brand new roof. I got a brand new roof, <laughs> brand new windows, and... Some closing cost. I and said they so, were an investor-friendly agent, not a negotiation-friendly <laughs> agent, David. Yeah. No, just kidding. But yeah, no, new roof, new windows throughout. Um, so I was very excited about that. That's pretty good, especially with the way that insurance is working these days. Sometimes having those amenities can keep your insurance low. Because if you're investing, this is not related to your thing, but just as a public announcement here, if you're buying anywhere that bad weather is, insurance is insane right now. Like. I recently bought a house in South Florida. The insurance quote was $26,000 a year for insurance on a short-term rental. So like making sure it has a new roof and new windows can significantly decrease your expenses. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) All right. How did you fund this deal? I had an equity partner and they got a conventional loan. Awesome. And what did you do with it? Was it a flip burr, uh, medium-term rental? So the inherited tenant on one side, he is still there and kicking, and he's a long-term tenant. And then the vacant unit, I did some renovation and furnished it, and it is a medium-term rental. All right. What was the outcome of this deal? The inherited tenant is under market, paying six twenty-five. Um, market value is about nine hundred. If I didn't do anything to his unit, but if I improve his unit, I could probably get twelve, twelve fifty. And then for my medium-term side, um, without doing much update to the kitchen, I am getting nineteen hundred a month. Yeah, I saw that coming. I was like, I know it's going to be more than that. That's awesome. Congratulations. So I assume once uh, the inherited tenant leaves, you'll, will you want to do some work and then turn that into a, a medium term? I will. Normally, I'm, I'm really liking this kind of hybrid model of my, a few of my duplexes are medium term on one side and long term on the other. It, it provides some stability. So for those more risk adverse investors out there, that's a really good way to sleep well at night, knowing that you have a long term tenant on one side and also get me through the winter. So I didn't, frankly, just didn't have bandwidth this summer to do a big renovation. And now that it's winter in Iowa, I'm not going to mess with vacancies and renovations. So I'm going to wait until the spring. Yeah, that's cool. My uh, my house in LA was the, the trifecta. I had a studio underneath with a long-term tenant. My tiny house was short-term rentals and my main home was a medium-term rental. Wow, you hit for the cycle. I've done it all. Uh, what lessons did you learn from this deal? Yeah, lessons I learned are spend money while it's vacant. So there were some repairs that I was like, oh, no, I'll wait until that thing breaks. And then, of course, like four weeks later, it broke in the middle of a medium term being there. And so if you have the time, money and energy, just go ahead and improve some of the systems when it's vacant. All right. And on this deal, who was your hero? The investor friendly real estate agent. 
He sends me great deals. I send him a text message exactly what I'm looking for, letting him know I'm 100% committed to buying. And then within days, he sends me a deal. All right. I'm going to send him a copy of my book, Skill, which he can find at biggerpox.com slash skill so he can learn how to negotiate better for you and get a better review the next time you do a deal deep dive and more clients. But good and, job. And if you use this promo code, Rob, he can get 10% off as well. <laughs> yes. Please make sure he knows that. We need to figure out some way to get Rob some value to be given in this situation. That's 10% Rob right there. All right, Ziana, same question. Do you have a deal that you'd like to go over with us? Sure. I already went through one, but I'm happy to do another. Let's go for it. We'll go through the questions quick, and you can just repeat the stuff that you already said. And if there's new stuff, then we'll expand on that. So question number one, what kind of property is it? It's condo. How did you find it? Uh, well, I found it myself on the MLS. After that girl got out of her relationship, it's perfect. You are an investor-friendly agent yourself. I am. So I suppose you used a stellar investor-friendly agent to find your own deal, right? Yes, myself. <laughs> There's a line in Braveheart where the guy says something like, like, in order to converse with his equal, an Irishman is forced to talk to the God Almighty or something like that. That's what it reminds me of. Like, in order to get an agent worthy of my level, I had to use myself to find my own deal. <laughs> All right. How much was this deal? It was two fifty five, but it was listed for two sixty five, and I still got it under asking. And then, when you're a real estate agent, you actually get like their commission back. So it was even right. less than that. Yeah, I would think I got seven thousand back at closing. Very cool. And how'd you fund it? I just got a regular loan. This one actually was sitting on the market for two weeks because it was a non-warrantable condo, which just means that there's not enough owner occupants in the building, which is really common in Boulder. Um, and so nobody could get a loan on it. And so it would have to be a cash only deal. So I just jumped on the phone and called everybody I knew until I found one that would say yes. So sometimes you just have to be persistent. That's right. And what did you do with it? Furnished it right away. I was lucky enough that I was selling another condo that was a three-bedroom Airbnb, and she needed to get rid of all of her furniture really fast. So I sent my friend over, and she kind of like picked through the furniture and then got everything we needed for the one-bedroom. Very cool. And what was the outcome? Yeah, it's a great rental. I had somebody move in that was renting. I own the unit two doors down. So she was renting it from Airbnb and was like, hey, I'm going to extend I moved her over to this unit and she stayed in it almost a year and it was at a 16% cash on cash return. So I was feeling really happy about that. And then she bought a property from me. So win, win, win all around exactly chicken right. dinner. <laughs> when you make your living within real estate, you get those multiple wins out of the same deal. I love it. Good. That. Yeah. All right. And Ziana, who was your hero on this deal? Okay, so the whole time I was doing this deal, I was in Maui. And so this deal was in Boulder, Colorado. And I had to have an agent on my team go check out all the furniture, moved it all in, staged the whole place, get it ready for my tenant. So all of that happened from Amy. So she's amazing. All right. Thank you very much for sharing your information on your deal deep dives. Those are incredibly helpful. And remember, everyone listening, you too can do more deals with the help of Bigger Pockets. Simply click on uh, resources and you can find agents that can help you find properties and other vendors that can be the hero on your deal. Famous for. 
All right, moving on to the last segment of the show. This is the world-famous Famous Four. In order to avoid the confusion that I have frequently brought on you two, we will start by having Sarah answer and then Ziana answer each of these questions because I can see how this could get out of hand. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate book? My favorite real estate book is Raising Private Capital by Matt Faircloth. Lovely book. Matt is also a lovely man. We just got to see him in San Diego. Uh, my favorite real estate book lately is Profit Like the Pros. Uh, Ken Corsini wrote that one for Bigger Pockets, and I think it's really fun for people that are new and want to like learn about a bunch of different strategies to figure out which one is theirs. It's such a fun read where you're just like, oh my God, I want to do that. Oh my God, I'm so inspired by this. So it's a lot of cool case studies. Awesome. And uh, I mean, if you use promo code ROB, then you get 10% off, which is also really great. <laughs> um, favorite business book? We'll start with Ziana this time. Gosh, I always get the same one, so I'm not going to do that this time. I think Traction is a really good business book. So, yeah, let's go with that one. Traction. Sarah? I like Made to Stick, which is um, there by Dan and Chip Heath. It's why some ideas survive and others die. <laughs> oh, all right. It's really good. Uh, okay. Question number three. Sarah, whenever you're not out there dominating the medium term game, what are some of your hobbies? So I travel full time. I'm actually calling in from Bangkok. So I think it's four in the morning in the future. Um, and, and I own an events company. So now I actually get paid to travel, which is dream job. Very cool. What about you, Ziana? Um, I love water sports. So I grew up in Maui and I'm actually in Maui right now. And so I love surfing, paddle boarding, anything in the water, snorkeling, all of it. Are you anywhere near Kihei? I am in Kihei as we speak. Really? The other day I actually paddled out and Brandon and Josh were there. So guys, if you want to stalk the BP guys, just come out here and start surfing. Yeah. That's where I have a couple condos out there. Not too far away from where Brandon lives. There you go. Batman themed condos. Are the whales out there right now? Not yet. They come in a few weeks. By the time this airs, it will be whale time. It's super cool when they come. Like, you could just look out there and they're just everywhere jumping out of the water. Very awesome. All right. My last question. What sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Sarah. Being coachable. I think when you are stuck in your own ways and unwilling to change, especially with a changing market or Rob, in your case, like changing tenants and tenant demands, you are not going to succeed. So you have to be coachable, trainable and flexible. I think it's important to be uncomfortable and be okay with that because it means that you're growing. And so it's like being in new groups, putting yourself out there, just like trying new things, being scared a lot. I like to say that I'm scared of everything and I'm just constantly trying and doing it anyway. And so I think that's important to be uncomfortable, get used to it. It's uncomfortable or comfortable paddle boarding around whales, but that is something that is also very cool. We it's scary that. actually, but beautiful. They're, they're huge. They are. Yes. That's it. I mean, everyone knows whales <laughs> yeah. are big, but when you actually see one, when you're in the water, it's like under your board. You yeah. You're just like, holy man. Awesome. Well, lastly, can you tell us where people can find out more about you on the internet? And just a friendly reminder to everyone at home to go back and listen to episodes 553 and 563 for more interviews with our awesome, awesome guests today. Um, I can be found at Ziana McIntyre. Instagram's probably the best place and you can DM me there and I respond to all my DMs. Can you spell that for us, Ziana? 
Z-E-O-N-A, McIntyre's M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. And if you think that Z-Mac would be a cool name for Ziana, please <laughs> DM her Z-Mac. <laughs> I just feel like it's such an opportunity that, would, that like God blessed you with. And if that was me, I would insist that everybody had to call me Z-Mac. So, here, David, what David what's your nickname? I don't have one. Like, you can't... I have such a basic, boring name. How do you make something cool out of David Green, right? I'm Hi, I'm Sarah Weaver. Like, there's yeah. not a lot of nicknames there. Ziana doesn't realize what she's got, right? We've craved our whole life yeah. to have a cool name like that. And I'm just like, uh, white bread. My parents had the foresight to name me uh, Rob Bilt, so this is not an issue for me. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. If my name was a spice, it would be flour. That's how boring it is. All right, Sarah, where can people find out more about you? Uh, my website, Sarah D. Weaver, and my Instagram is the same thing, Sarah D. Weaver. And can you spell it for us? S-A-R-A-H, D as in David, Weaver, W-E-A-V-E-R. Thank you very much for that. And Rob, Built, if people want to find out more about you, where can they? Oh, they can find me on YouTube at Rob Built, on Instagram at Rob Built, and uh, on my birth certificate at Rob Built. <laughs> <laughs> not Rob built underscore, not Rob dot built, not underscore Rob built. Please be very careful. Everybody is getting hacked these days and stealing money. So do not send any of us that's on this show money. The jerks that are out there that are doing this are probably watching this episode. They're probably making fake profiles for Sarah and Ziana as we speak. And they're going to be hitting you up asking if you want to donate money to their cause, please. Don't do that. You can find me at David Green 24 and uh, message me there. You can also message me on the Bigger Pockets platform or YouTube at David Green Real Estate. All right. This has been an amazing episode, and I appreciate you guys for sharing such useful information. A lot of the time, people want to just kind of say, ah, here's the gist of it. Buy the book to get the rest. You didn't do that. You gave us very good stuff. So if you've shared this much on the podcast, I can only imagine how much good stuff is actually in that book. So head over to biggerpockets.com slash pod 30. Use the name David to get 10% off and uh, forget that Rob's name even exists. Ziana, any last words before we let you get out of here? I just really appreciate being here. Thank you guys. We're excited to get this info into people's hands because we do really think it'll help them. Sweet. Sarah? Reach out if you need anything. We love hearing from people. It really means a lot. As Ziana said, we read all of our DMs and we love it when you guys reach out. So reach out to us on Instagram. And Rob? Oh, go buy the book. Go buy the book. I'm excited. Uh, beat me to reading it. I don't know if you can. I'm starting tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. My book diet. Beat Rob to reading a book. The lowest bar ever set <laughs> That's very in the history of mankind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, ladies. We appreciate you. We'll let you get out of here. This is David Green for Rob. Definitely not a library. Abasolo signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. 
Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.